Now, as you know, we've been working our way through uh, Romans 13, but we've taken a major detour uh, in, in our discussion on, on government and then taxes and tithing, and then we've kind of gotten off into the issue of money and free will giving. So we actually find ourselves the second time tonight in Second Corinthians chapter 8. So go ahead and turn there. Second Corinthians chapter 8. <coughs> Second Corinthians 8, and let me just read the first uh, nine verses here. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you uh, the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great deal or, or in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and in their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Consequently, we urged Titus that he had, that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all earnestness and in the love uh, we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking in, uh, I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you have known the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. And through uh, his poverty, uh, you, uh, through his poverty, might become rich. Uh, I'm, uh, again, this little detour that we're looking at here in, in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians, again, on this issue of uh, giving. Uh, I hope to uh, end that tonight and get back to uh, Romans 13 and then try to move a little bit quicker through the book of Romans. Uh, a little quicker pace, trying to pick that up and maybe uh, see how fast we can uh, come to the end of that uh, that book. But tonight we're looking here at Second Corinthians eight, and I said it, uh, it's a second time. And Second Corinthians eight really stands out as a model of New Testament free will giving, uh, as as we've seen in our study on this issue of again taxes and tithing and then free will giving. That there really is no uh, New Testament concept or New Testament carryover of the Old Testament idea of the tithe. Now, that was part of the Old Testament theocracy for the nation of Israel. But that doesn't mean that the New Testament doesn't teach uh, on giving uh, whatsoever it does. But in the New Testament, the concept of giving has to do with free will giving, uh, free will giving. And that's what we've been looking at here uh, the last couple of times in this Second Corinthians 8 passage. While we're not commanded to give in the New Testament except other than paying our taxes, we, we see that giving is what a Christian does because a Christian is always motivated by grace. And we'll see here some principles uh, that are laid down to display to us uh, how the Macedonian um, uh, 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 believers uh, gave. So again, let me just kind of help set the background for us. Uh, Remember, 2 Corinthians 8 is really the resumption of something that uh, began by Paul a year earlier uh, with the Corinthian believers. Uh, It was a year earlier he began to take up a collection to help the believers in Jerusalem who were impoverished. Uh, for a number of reasons. Remember, there was a, the, the Holy Spirit's poured out. There's a whole bunch of people who have come from all over the region. Uh, they've come to Jerusalem. Uh, they, they're converted, uh, but they can't go back to their families because they've left 
uh, Judaism. And so there's a whole bunch of people. The Lord continues to add to the church daily, and there's a whole bunch of people that are really impoverished. They lose their, their family, they lose their jobs, lose the right to work, uh, uh, thrown out of the synagogue, etc. and so forth. So there's a lot of poor people, poor believers uh, there in Jerusalem. So there was a collection that was taken out, and it's been interrupted by some kind of internal discord between Paul and the Corinthians caused by some false teachers. But now he's coming back to resume that collection because that, that riff has been uh, uh, taken care of and the relationship has been restored. And in so doing, what Paul is doing here in the Second Corinthians passage is he is setting before the Corinthian believers the example of the Macedonian believers in their heart towards giving. So again, the, 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 the Macedonians really become uh, not only motivation for the, for the Corinthian believers, but as I said last time, the Macedonians really become the standard, the New Testament standard for giving of all believers. The Macedonians become a wonderful example uh, of, of us or to us of this idea of free will giving that you see in the New Testament. Now, let's kind of quickly uh, work our way through and so we can see where we left off last time and then continue looking uh, looking forward here uh, at the text. The first <clears throat> principle uh, that Paul wants us to realize is, in the example of the Macedonians, is that giving is what Christians do because giving is always motivated by God's grace. Giving is what Christians do because giving is motivated by God's grace. Verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. And I mentioned last time the churches of Macedonia, uh, again, they're an impoverished group of people. They've been impoverished, virtually slaves by the, by the Roman Empire. Yet, yet they've been touched by God's goodness, by God's kindness. His, his grace and mercy has really changed their life and affected everything about their life. So, so they want to be involved in helping, giving uh, to their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem. Uh, again, who are in great need, but they've never met them. Uh, but they still want to be a part of, of helping them out. So Paul draws our attention to the fact here that God's grace has affected uh, these Macedonians in their heart. God's grace has affected their heart. God's grace has so affected their heart that it's changed their lives, changed their actions, changed their desires. And and these Macedonians are really completely sold out to Christ. They're sold out to Christ. They treasure Christ above everything. Uh, They treasure Christ and in the affliction, uh, in their affliction and their poverty, in spite of their circumstances, He's still the greatest treasure they have. And again, in fact, that God has been so kind and merciful to them in Christ. He's forgiven their sin. He's provided them everlasting fellowship with God the Father. So that gift, that relationship, reconciled relationship is what they treasure above all, above all else. So they have a love for the brothers, again, in Jerusalem, the sisters in Jerusalem in Christ. They want to partake. They want to help in their relief, again, although they've never met them. So uh, grace, uh, giving is motivated by grace in the New Testament for the believer. The second principle that Paul draws our attention to is not only that uh, uh, giving is motivated by grace, but it's irrespective of circumstances, irrespective of circumstances, verse 2. Again, verse 1, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you uh, the the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, verse 2, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. I mentioned to you last time that these, uh, again, the churches of uh, uh, Macedonia, or the churches of Thessalonica, uh, Berea, and Philippi, and they're really uh, having a difficult time. They're really enduring crushing oppression uh, by the Romans. They're, they're under great pressure uh, mentally, physically, uh, spiritually. 
the, the Romans, again, were oppressing them, holding them down. Virtually, uh, these uh, people were, were uh, in essence, slaves to the Roman Empire. But they're enduring this uh, persecution, <clears throat> this pressure. Uh, they're suffering. Some of them are suffering, again, at the hands of their, their own countrymen. Because if you leave, the, if you leave uh, Judaism and become a follower of Christ, there's a tremendous amount of pressure uh, upon you in the culture. But yet they've persevered. They've endured. Uh, they've uh, endured all this persecution and affliction in the midst of their suffering. And they're still moved by God's grace in their life. And they still continue to give. And Paul says they gave joyously, abundantly, liberally. Uh, Again, verse 2. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. I mean, they weren't wealth, the Macedonians, they weren't wealth or rich uh, by the world's standards. But nevertheless, they overflowed in the richness of the wealth of having a proper heart attitude. Again, so moved by God's grace in their own life. And they trusted and they believed that God would take care of their needs. And, and, and therefore, they have a single-minded devotion to him. Uh, they, they are considering in humility of mind uh, the need of others more than their own needs. And, and their, their giving is marked by generosity, verse 3. For I testify that according <clears throat> to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. So they gave what they could give, and then they gave more. Because they believed that God would supply all their needs according to his riches and glory in the person of Christ Jesus. They gave gener- generously because they believed God, that they, they believed that God cared for them and, the, and that God loved them. And they believed that God cared for them and God loved them so much, they determined not to trust themselves, but to trust him. They, they didn't entrust themselves like, I'm going to make my life work out and I'm going to do what I think is the right thing by me. They just entrusted themselves to the living God and, and who has dealt with them in a heart of grace and compassion and mercy. And again, their hearts are moved by God's kindness in their own life and they just desire to be a part of meeting the needs of other uh, believers in Christ in, in, a, in a generous fashion. So uh, we, we understand that there's a heart uh, attitude here that, that's proper. Now, we also understand that you can't give what you don't have. I mean, your heart may be moved, so moved by God's grace, you, you have a desire to give millions and millions of dollars away to other people in Christ to help them or help other ministries. But if you don't have millions and millions of dollars to give, you can't give millions and millions of dollars away. And I thought to myself this afternoon when I was reading those notes, except if you're the United States government, but that's probably a... <clears throat> right, that's probably a topic for another evening, right? For the believer, though, God's not concerned about the amount we give. What God's really concerned about is our heart. It's always a heart issue. God's not concerned about the amounts. He's not concerned about percentages because there's no percentage given here. Uh, giving's not measured in percentages, not uh, uh, or the amount of money given. It's always a heart issue when it comes to giving. So again, mo- moved by grace, the, the Macedonians, Macedonian believers are a generous group of people. And they give proportionate to to their ability. Again, look at verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. So the word ability there is the the Greek word dunamos. It means power, uh, ability. The ESV says, for they gave according to their means. Uh, uh, The NIV says, I testify they gave as much as they were able. So they gave within their power. They gave within their power their ability to give. Now, again, God's not interested in, in amounts. God doesn't get, expect you to give what you don't possess, but he, he expects you to give 
according to what you do have and how your heart is moved by his grace and kindness in your own life. So again, God's not asking you to, to uh, strip your life down to a poverty level and take a vow of poverty like, uh, like ascetics uh, do uh, because he knows that you need to take care of your family. And the Bible says if you don't take care of your family, then you're worse than what? An unbeliever, right? Uh, uh, again, in the Bible, there are biblical principles in place that have to do with money. And, and the, the Bible also says it's right for us to save. It's, it's right for us to plan for the future, to be wise stewards. So everything has to be balanced and everything has to be evaluated, again, with right heart attitudes towards why we do what we do, especially with our resources, whether they be money or time or, or, or possessions, whatever. And what occupies our mind is really the most important issue. And if what occupies our mind the most is our money and how we can take that money and make more money so that we can buy a bigger house or a bigger car or a bigger boat or wear better clothes or, or whatever, uh, go on a better vacation, th- then I would suggest maybe we're a little bit too caught up in the spirit of the age because that's how the world thinks <clears throat> about uh, m- uh, money. That's the spirit of materialism. And, and again, there's nothing wrong in essence with with having material resources or money on the other hand there's nothing particularly virtuous about being impoverished or taking a vow of poverty so again money's not the issue the amount's not the issue it's never the issue the issue is our heart it's always a heart issue we started this conversation about government we said it's really a heart issue how do we respond to authority and that's what's going on that's the issue at, at the at hand how how in light of how god has treated us do we respond to a variety of different issues that's the major issue that's on the table here. And so uh, what, going, what is going on inside of our heart really de- determines what we do with everything we have. Again, time, money, resources, etc., and so forth. What motivates us? That's the underlying question. Now, if we're functioning on the same level of the world, same patterns of the world, uh, same goals and motivations of the world, then it would be hard-pressed to set, suggest anything else other than the fact that we are what? Worldly. Right? If we're doing everything the world is doing, with the same motivations and, and desires, then we'd be hard-pressed to suggest any other thing that we're just being worldly. However, if God has richly blessed us financially and material, and our heart's desire is to use those resources for only what we need for our personal care and for our families, and then to give back generously to others, to, to God's people and his work, then we're moving in the right direction. We're demonstrating the same kind of heart that God has for people. Uh, if we're, we're generous with what we have, then our, our money and our resources don't own us, but we're as good stewards using them as God might direct us for his glory and for his people. When we were in California, uh, I knew a man who ran a business. Uh, he went to seminary, <clears throat> but he had determined the seminary wasn't for him. It wasn't God's will for his life and going to full-time ministry, but he ran a business. He was very successful <clears throat> in that business, and he had a very generous heart. And he used a sizable amount of his own personal money, I mean, literally out of his own pocket, to pay for the first uh, translation of the MacArthur Study Bible into the Russian language. I mean, he, he dropped a pretty sizable chunk down because he wanted to get that, that project in, in process. <clears throat> and he said basically to me, he said, Bill, you know, God has given me the ability to make money, and, and I want to use that money to advance the kingdom. And, and that's a great attitude on money. A great heart attitude. The money didn't own him. His money didn't own him. He wanted to use the ability he had to make money and the money that God had given to him uh, through his business to to bless others. And and again, the MacArthur Study Bible in general, but the MacArthur Study Bible in in Russian is a tremendous uh, 
uh, a blessing. So materialist, materialistic attitudes, materialist, uh, materialistic attitudes manifest themselves selves in materialism, and godly attitudes manifest themselves in godly attitudes. It's just that simple. <clears throat> so here's some, <clears throat> excuse me, very impoverished uh, Macedonian believers, and they're giving. Uh, again, verse three, they're giving according to their ability and beyond their ability. They gave their, their own card. Uh, again, the, the Macedonians have been so moved by God's grace in their life, they're giving to the point that it's sacrificial according to their ability and beyond their ability. That's the sacrificial aspect of their giving. Again, they're not motivated by duty. They're not motivated by command. They're just giving of their own free will, of their own accord. Giving sacrificially, again, in spite of the difficult times that they're going through, in spite of the difficult circumstances that they find themselves in. And because they're giving sacrificially, they're being forced to make some decisions in their life. They're being forced to make decisions uh, between needs, wants, and desires. Need, wants, and desires. Needs are the necessary things in life that we purchase, such as food, shelter, and clothing. Uh, Wants move into the choices, the areas of choices about the quality of those things. And then desires are those things that we purchase only after all the other obligations have been met and only if there's any surplus funds available to purchase them. So that's how money works, needs, wants, and desires. And I guarantee you the Macedonians were not spending a whole lot of time in the desire category, and they were probably not spending a whole much, a lot of time in the want category either. They're just giving uh, according to their ability and beyond their ability, and therefore I would suggest to you that they're probably having to be forced into making some serious lifestyle uh, changes and lifestyle choices. Uh, I would suggest that they sat down and made some real hard, real choices on how they're going to live. How are they going to use the resources they possessed in order that they might be able to give more? Right? Because you can't, you can't give of your own ability beyond your ability unless you've stopped and made purposeful, reasoned decisions <clears throat> on how you're going to give, on how you're going to live your own life. Purposed, reasoned decisions about how you're going to be a good steward of the money and the resources that God has, has given to you. So here, here's a group of people who aren't wealthy by any standards of the, of the world. Uh, by any worldly standards, they're giving according to their power and beyond their ability, and, and, and they're giving out of a heart that has been moved <clears throat> by God's grace in their life. And again, they're making careful life decisions, lifestyle choices to how they're going to spend the resources that God has given to them. And on top of that, look at verse 4. It says, these guys who are already given sacrificially are now begging for the privilege of giving. They're begging for the privilege of giving. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave for, of their own accord. Verse 4, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. The NIV says they urgently pleaded for us, uh, with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Uh, New King James says imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift of the fellowship uh, of the ministry of the saints. Verse 5 says, and this is not what we expected. Uh, I would think so, right? These guys are begging to give. They're pleading for the privilege of sharing in, in ministry with their brothers and sisters, again, in Christ, in Jerusalem, whom they've never met. And I wonder how, how many of us have ever thought about giving like that. It's a privilege to give. How, how many of us have thought about the fact that it's a privilege to give back to God's work and to his people, and how many of us are still caught up in the duty of giving? 
how many are caught up into the idea that I really don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it because I'm kind of being forced to kind of an attitude? What if across America uh, there was a uniform announcement made uh, through all the churches that there's never again going to be an offering received? I wonder how many people in the churches across America would say, well, that's great. Now I can go out and spend money on then this thing that I want. You know, fill in the blank. I don't have to give any more to the church. I can just spend the money on myself. Or how many Christians would be really upset, genuinely upset, because an offering hasn't been received and not ever going to be taken again. How many would be offended at the fact that they are being robbed of the opportunity and the great privilege of giving? Robbed of the privilege of being sacrificially involved in meeting the needs of others. And there's nothing, again, that so reveals where our heart attitudes are, where our spiritual condition is, is how we deal with money, how we look at money, how we look at giving. It's probably a great uh, reason the church in, in America doesn't like to speak about money or, or speak about giving because it makes people uncomfortable. Because it really, money it really re- reveals the heart, it expo- exposes the motives, it gives tangible uh, uh, evidence to what really motivates a person. Now, to your credit as a, as a congregation, we've not received a formal offering or passed out the offering plate for the last three years uh, since the time of COVID. But you're missing, and this congregation hasn't missed a beat. You've continually provided for the needs of the congregation, the needs of the ministry, and you've done that beyond our current needs because your heart has been motivated by God's grace and kindness in your own life. Just like these brothers and sisters in Macedonia, they're completely sold out by uh, completely sold out to the person of God, consumed by the person persons of God in Christ. So, so they give sacrificially. I testify that according to their own ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. So they didn't worry about what they ate. They didn't worry about what they drank. They didn't worry about what they would wear because they knew that God would meet all those needs. They knew that God would take care of them in time because God has already taken care of them in eternity. Right? God has already provided for their eternal souls through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he's done the greater, then most certainly he'll do the lesser as a good father to his children, taking care of his own in time. And these believers, just like David, decided they wouldn't give back to God. That which didn't cost them anything, so they gave. They gave sacrificially. They placed themselves in deeper, deeper deeper and deeper dependence upon the Lord to supply their needs. Again, they demonstrated their generosity to the poor saints in Jerusalem, again, whom they've never met because they were in great need, and because the Lord loved them, they loved those people in Jerusalem and wanted to participate in helping meet their needs. So again, the Macedonians become really the standard of, uh, of New Testament giving. They're the standard of free will giving. Giving as a result of God's grace operating in their lives, giving sacrificially beyond their ability uh, in, in accordance with God's grace in their life. So they give voluntarily of their own accord. They give eagerly. They give urgently. Again, they pleaded. They begged for the privilege of giving and sharing in the, in the ministry of the saints that were in great need there in, in Jerusalem. So in the New Testament, uh, giving for the believer is not seen as an obligation, but rather it's seen as a privilege. It's seen as a privilege. Again, verse 5, this is not what we expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So Paul says, look, we're a little bit caught off guard by the Macedonian brothers in their hearts uh, <clears throat> towards giving until we realize something about them, until they, we realize that here it is, they first gave themselves to the Lord 
and then to us by the will of God. They gave themselves to the Lord. Uh, again, since they've given themselves back to the Lord, again, they're completely sold out to the Lord. It, it's not surprising they actually gave every, they, everything they had also to him. They're totally committed to him. And, and, and not just in words, but by tangible deeds in their life, committing uh, the actions of their life completely to the Lord. And, and, and in reality, not only do the Macedonians see giving as a privilege, they really saw it as an act of worship. Again, it says they first gave themselves to the Lord. So by way of priority, by way of commitment, and total dedication, they first gave themselves to the Lord. And because God's kindness in their life, they made themselves completely His. They made themselves completely His. They, they again made everything else that they owned completely disposable and available uh, to God in His work. So again, the Macedonian believers really had right priorities. Uh, they, they had right priorities and they understood who their God is. And they worshipped him in the totality of their lives. They first gave themselves to the Lord. And again, I, I just made mention of it, but it reminds me again uh, of what we were studying before we got into chapter 13. We were in chapter 12 uh, of the book of Romans, right? And, and, and I mentioned this last week, 11 chapters in the book of Romans that takes us to the wonderful truth of chapter 12, where Paul says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So here's a group of people who have been so motivated by God's kindness and grace to them, they are doing exactly what Paul says. They're giving themselves back in total, and they see it as a reasonable act of worship on their behalf, or, or on their part. They're not conformed to the world. They're not striving for the world's desires. They just want to please the Lord, and they want to help uh, the Lord wherever they can help as the Lord's trying to meet the needs of his people. So again, here's a, here's a group of people, the Macedonian believers, who don't worship the Lord just on one day of the week. They worship God with the totality of their lives. Here is a group of people that are living with, in, in direct view of the mercies of God in their lives always. They see the mercy of, their God, of God in their lives always. It's directly before them. So here's a group of people who presented not only their bodies, but everything they possess back to the Lord as a holy, a living sacrifice. Uh, a group of people that aren't rich by the, worldly stand, by the world standards, but a group of people that are rich in God's mercy and God's grace in their own life. So it didn't really matter to them how the Lord might use uh, uh, their resources, however meager they might have been. They just wanted God to use the resources, right? They wanted God to use them, wanted God to use the resources that he had given to them uh, because for them it was a privilege to give back to, to the ministry, uh, participating uh, again in meeting the needs of the saints there in Jerusalem. So giving for the Macedonians was seen as an act of worship. And they first had given themselves to God, then they gave the material uh, resources that God had given to them back to the Lord's Lord's service. Again, they weren't caught up in the world. They weren't caught up on the things of the world. Uh, they were single-minded in their devotion to Christ. And the Macedonian believers were devoted to the Lord, and that led them to be devoted to God's under-shepherds. They were willing and eager to submit themselves to the leadership of the, of the churches. That's why Paul says they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Again, they understood biblical spiritual authority. They understood that God has ordained government, even in the churches, uh, where there's a, to be a submission to authority, a submission to leaders. And it was those same leaders who brought 
the needs of the saints uh, in Jerusalem to their attention. And because of God's love for them in Christ, they were eager to be involved, eager to help meet those needs, uh, eager to be a part of that ministry. And, and that's why the believers in Macedonia, again, stand out to us as the standard of New Testament uh, uh, giving, uh, the standard of New Testament free will giving. And, and that's why Paul has brought them as an example here in Second Corinthians to the Corinthian believers. That's an, these guys are an example for you to follow, right? Uh, and how, again, to get back involved in this collection we started a year ago and get back on track here to meet the needs of the saints in Jerusalem because they're still there and they're still great. So that's why Paul has sent Titus to them complete to complete the work they began a year ago. Verse 6, Consequently, we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. Right, so they're they're trying to get this ministry going back, starting this collection again. And Paul tells, tells the Corinthian believers that again, it's really a measure of God's grace in their own life. It's a measure of spiritual maturity in their life. How they are involved with giving, verse seven. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all earnestness and in the love that we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. So again, Paul's saying, look, that a sign of spiritual maturity, a sign of their your growth, their growth in, in, in grace, is just, how, in part, how they give. It, it's not just, uh, grace is not just measured in, in your faith. It's not just measured in what you say you believe in. It's not just measured in your knowledge of the Bible. It's not just measured in, in, in your earnestness to serve, but it's also tangibly measured in your giving. What you do with the tangible resources uh, that you have. Uh, the ESV says, uh, but as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in your love, in our love for you, see that you excel at this act of grace also. He wants them to be involved, right? Get back on uh, board with this, uh, with this project. Now, somewhere I, I read a while back that 80% of the money that's contributed to evangelical churches and the United States comes from 20% of the members. And that remaining 20% uh, uh, came from 30% of the members, and that roughly half of the church members gave nothing at all. So if, across the board of the United States, just a very small percentage uh, of believers are giving. I also read that, turn, that since the turn of the century, the year 2000, the percentage of individuals in the church that have described themselves as deeply spiritual or absolutely committed to uh, the Christian faith of that group or those two categories, only one out of ten ever gave at least even ten percent of their income back uh, to the activities of the church. Another article suggested that the average giving in the church is less than three percent of annual income by those who give. Now, again, I said I spent a lot of time saying, look, percentage isn't the issue, um, but but the numbers are revealing. If you only have twenty percent of the church giving, and most of those people aren't giving very much to begin with, uh, um, it really is revealing the hard attitude of the church uh, in general uh, across uh, America. Uh, again, perhaps somewhat suggestive and now a tangible evidence of why the churches in America tend to be so uh, um, theologically uh, askew because their hearts are different directions versus the things of eternity, the things of God, the things of Christ, Christ's, Christ's people, right? Modern evangelical is messed up because I think it's a hard issue. Uh, not not trained, not taught very well, that's true. But but there's hard issues that, that need to be addressed. 
and not giving uh, or, or giving what we do with our, our research is really another tangible evidence of the level of our spiritual material, spiritual uh, maturity. But it's also a proof of our love. Giving is also a proof of, of our love. Verse eight: uh, Just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance, and knowledge, and all earnestness, and in love, we inspired in you that you abound in this gracious work also. Right? Uh, um, uh, I'm not speaking this way by way of command, but proving through earnestness of others and sincerity of your love. He said, "Look, I, I'm not commanding you, but I'm really going to give you a test here, Corinthians." Uh, we're going to compare your love with, with other people and how they give. Uh, I'm not commanding you. Some people go, well, there's my out. I don't have to give. You don't have to give. I said that last week. And somebody came up to me and said, I never heard a pastor say that before. If you're giving out of a, a motivation of I've got to do this, I don't want to do this, but I've got to do this, you should just keep your money. We're not interested in your money. We're, we're, God's not interested in your money. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. That's the issue. That's the whole the point of the whole uh, the sermon is what are you doing? Where is your heart at? How do you how do you see the resources that God has given to you? And again, money is a great indicator of your spiritual condition and your heart. And in Paul saying, look, it's also an indication, Corinthians, of, of your love. You know, I want to test the sincerity of your love, and I want to compare it to the earnestness of others. So again, Corinthians, he's saying to you, look, I, this is a real test of uh, of where you're at. This is a test of your love. Your love, Corinthian believers, is not just uh, uh, approved by your words. Uh, your love is proved and demonstrated by your actions. Because, again, love is proven by actions. Talk is cheap. Love demands action. Again, Corinthians, you say you love the church. You say you love Jesus. You say you love God's people. Well, demonstrate that love. Prove it is what he's telling them. When I come, when I send Titus, prove that. Complete the work that you said you would be a part of a year ago and get back involved in helping the brothers who are desperately in need there in Jerusalem. Now, the Macedonians, again, I'm going to put those as an example. Paul says, look, they demonstrated their love, always. I'm using them as an illustration because I want you to understand this is the level for you Corinthian believers. This is a level of understanding what giving looks like. They gave sacrificially. They gave joyously because they had a heart that was motivated by God's grace and compassion in their own life. They gave in view of God's mercies in their own life. Therefore, they demonstrated that in their love for his people, not just with words, but with their deeds. Because that's what love does. Love always gives. And that's what Christians do, because that's exactly what the Savior did. Verse 9. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, and that you through his poverty might become rich. So again, the supreme example of grace is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. The supreme example of giving is seen in the person uh, of Jesus Christ. He was rich. He was rich and he left eternity. The one who was in face-to-face communion with the Father. He left the courts of heaven, heaven and he came to the earth. And he clothed himself in our humanity. That he, although untouched with sin in his person, might become the sin offering, the sin bearer for our sake. Christ came into this world, he incarnated, he, he, and he gave himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. That through his death, his sacrificial substitutionary death, through his burial, through his resurrection, he would become poor that we might be made rich. That we might be made rich by being reconciled to God the Father and having eternal life. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that we through his poverty might become rich. I'll just say it as kind of a 
sub point comment, but all the false teaching that goes on associated with this verse has absolutely nothing to do with material resources, material wealth. Right? All the quote unquote prosperity gospelers, they use this passage of scripture a lot, these false teachers in the church that continue to dupe people out of their money. You know, you give me some money and you're, God's going to bless you and give you more money. Uh, they, they claim that the reason that Christ came to the earth, it was to make them materially wealthy. Make, well, the, the prosperity gospelers are getting materially wealthy because they're duping people out of their money. But Christ didn't come to the earth so you get a, a bigger income. Christ didn't come to, to the earth so that you could drive a, a nicer truck or, or whatever. So that kind of prosperity gospel teaching... Uh, that says, "Give us your money, and you'll become wealthy." Uh, that's that's a that's a blasphemous error. That, that's false teaching. The riches that Paul's talking about has nothing to do with financial or material wealth. He's talking about the great riches that are found for men in forgiveness of sin. The great riches that are found in receiving eternal life through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was rich, but he became poor for our sake. Right? So Christ himself becomes the great example of giving. He gave everything. He gave everything he had. He gave himself. He came to this earth. He bled. He died for us. That we might be rich with eternal life. We might be rich with a reconciled relationship to God the Father. So Christians, real Christians give. Because that's what the Savior does. He gives. He always gives. A true Christian has a heart motivated like the motivations that motivated Christ. Out of love. Uh, out of love and a desire to glorify the Father uh, in, in everything that, that, a, that a believer does. And again, actions always speak much louder than words. And, and so giving is a demonstration of where our hearts are, and, and giving exposes and really reveals heart attitudes. Materialism uh, manifests itself in, in the heart attitudes of materialism. And, and godliness manifests itself in an attitude of self-sacrificial giving to meet the needs of others, because that's how... Jesus Christ demonstrated his life when he was here on the earth. Now, I, I, again, to, to your great credit, uh, you're a very generous congregation. And, and, and I'm thankful for that. And I'm convinced, though, that the reason is that because you have seen God's mercy in your life. And you want to be a part of a ministry that exalts Christ and, and, and pre- preaches the gospel across the, uh, all aspects of the ministry and is committed to uh, the word of God. And that's because God has changed your life through the Word of God. That's where that comes from. Again, we don't we don't pass the plate, <clears throat> and we've had those discussions: should we pass the plate? Should we not pass the plate? You know, I mean, we stopped doing that because of the COVID craziness and the scare of people getting this bug or that thing. And we just we've asked ourselves as elders: should we get back into doing that? And we just said, you know, it's working as it is, and we're because your hearts are where they should be. You know, uh, so that's where it's at at the moment. Now, in in this little excursion that we've taken, we've learned some things about money, right? We've learned in the New Testament that that God doesn't require a tithe. He he wants free will giving. He wants hearts motivated by his love in a person's heart to give back freely uh, to the the ministry. And that's what the Macedonians did. And, And again, the Macedonians gave and New Testament believers give because the ultimate example of giving everything is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So giving the, the things that we've kind of studied so far, giving should be regular. It should be uh, uh, 
should transcend difficult circumstances. It should be done with joyous hearts. It should be unhindered by poverty because we're not talking amounts. We're talking about hard attitudes. It should be generous. It should be proportional. It should be voluntarily, uh, voluntary. It should be sacrificial, again, from the heart. It's not an obligation to give. It's a privilege to give back to God's ministry uh, because God uses uh, the, the resources that God's people give to, to minister to his people. And, and again, it's not a marked by a percentage, not a certain dollar amount. It's always marked by a heart attitude. And again, how we look at our money, how we look at our resources, and it could be not just money, but time. You know, if uh, I, I, I mean, money is one issue, but time is another resource that we have, and how we give our time back to people is a great uh, demonstration of where our hearts are, uh, because time costs, right? And, and so. And if I give you my time, it's because I love you and I want to be investing in your life or I wouldn't spend that time. And so resources always, and what we do with them, really comes from a motivation of our heart. So again, New Testament giving is not marked by percentages. Not, uh, it's really marked by hard attitudes. And, and everything we do is really an act of worship back to the Lord. Everything that uh, we do is always seen through the mercies of, God's in our own li- mercy of God in our own life. And, and because we have been won by Christ, and because he was taking care of our eternal destiny, he'll take care of our needs in time. And so we have a great privilege of coming alongside and being a part uh, of ministry with him. All right? There's probably more we could say on the issue, but we'll stop. That, that's enough. It, it's hard attitudes. Everything has to do with hard attitudes. Again, 11 chapters of text. Chapter 12, in view of the mercies of God, how do you relate? How do you relate to God? How do you relate to others? How do you relate to people who are uh, with you, those people who are against you, people in church, people outside of church? How do you relate to authority? And again, when we get back into chapter 13, again, it's going to be more information on how do we deal with this issue or how do we give ourselves to uh, others around us, especially in the fellowship. Everything is everything has changed. Did I say that this morning? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Everything is different. Everything is different. The, the world's motivated by money. More of it. We're motivated because Christ has loved us, right? He became poor, right? So that we might become rich in our reconciled relationship with the Father. All right. Our Father and our God, we're thankful for our time in your word this morning and for our time in your word this evening. We are thankful for the great privilege we have of coming on, uh, alongside to be co-laborers with you and to give back to the, the meet the needs of your people. On the context, obviously, we're talking about finances, but it really is all of our life seen and viewed through uh, your mercies in our own life. Uh, And and I thank you for this congregation out of the bottom of my heart for the generosity that they continue to give both in time and in financial resources. But help us again to keep Christ in front of us, uh, his kindness uh, poured out to us, again, motivating everything we do. Help us to think deeply uh, about these issues. And we thank you for uh, your grace in our life. Thank you for this day of worship in Christ's name. Amen.